Hello, AP Psychology. Uh, welcome to your midterm review for the spring of 23. So just to, in case you didn't watch the Zoom, uh, I don't know when you're going to take your, your test next week. I don't know when you're, you're scheduled, especially since mo most of you are so far away. So what I'm going to do is you, you'll have this podcast to listen to. So listen to it. Take notes, download the review, whatever it is you feel you need to do. And then I'm going to have a session on Sunday. I'll put the, the time up later on and you come with questions. So if you don't know or understand something, then come on Sunday and let's we'll talk it out. Or you shoot me an email. That might be quicker and easier uh, if you need to. The, the test is only multiple choice. I did not <clears throat> give you any FRQs. We're going to practice FRQs more in the month of March and April. So I didn't feel like we needed to, to do that uh, stressor uh, on this test. So it is 20 questions from Unit 5, 20 questions from Unit 6, and uh, 10 questions from Units 1 through 4. So there is some stuff from last semester on there. I debated on whether to do that because you kind of put it behind you, but you do need to keep some of the stuff fresh in your minds. Uh, just keep in mind, uh, it's only 10 questions from four units, so it is a limited amount of the, the standards. Uh, so we'll definitely need to prepare uh, for the AP exam when we get closer uh, with a more detailed look at those units one through four. So just you know, keep that in mind when you're, you're studying and preparing that there is some stuff uh, that you need to remember from last semester. All right, guys, let's get going. So hopefully you found the review. And uh, you can tell what I did with it. I said unit five. And then I've got point one, point two, point three. So that's just you know each standard. So 5.1, uh, there's going to be questions about that stuff. 5.2 is going to have the recall problem, so on and so forth. So uh, we'll go through this whole thing. And once again, if you ever have questions, just feel free to email me uh, or pop into the Zoom on Sunday. All right, so unit 5.1, this is what we started off this semester with, uh, and there were 11 things, and we spent a little bit of time on this, and you uh, you did some work, and you wrote some FRQ, and uh, took a test on this, so uh, hopefully it's somewhat still familiar with you. Anyways, let's get rolling. So 5.1, uh, there are three things. You got priming, implicit memory, uh, episodic memory, and I missed one there, so you have four things from there, divided attention versus selective attention. So for priming, this is basically where uh, you have something kind of set off a memory. So you maybe wake up in the morning late and you were supposed to do something, but you forgot. And then you get to school or you get to wherever you're going for the day and you see something. Oh, man, I was supposed to do this or I meant to do that, or whatever it might be. Something set off that memory, okay? Uh, and it could be, it doesn't have to be like you forgot something in the morning. It could be literally anytime, anywhere, where just you see something, and it, it kind of, um, hey, I remember that, okay? Um, That's it, it, what priming is. The implicit memory, uh, this is a recall of something you probably didn't realize that you knew or you had forgotten this, but all of a sudden it just, it comes to you. Okay. And I, I like to use the example of riding a bike. I haven't ridden a bike in years. Okay. Uh, my kids used to ride bikes and I would ride with them, but as they've gotten older, they have just fallen out of the bike riding stage. And so I haven't been on a bike in forever. And sometimes I'll forget that I can ride a bike. But I am pretty sure that if I was to get on a bike, I could probably go ride it. Okay. So I, I don't use it. It's not something that I use on a daily basis. In fact, I haven't thought about riding a bike until I just said that stuff right there. So it's not something that's just constantly on my mind, but I know it's there. Okay. Now, maybe there's something that you don't remember that you don't know. Uh, I'll have memories pop up. Uh, a lot of times from, you know, uh, much earlier in my life that I forgot that I knew. Okay. Uh, episodic memories. So these are memories of a time, a place, uh, an event, and it basically gets set off when you go there. I have some wonderful memories from my childhood growing up 
And when I go home to Florida, <clears throat> to my hometown, we'll go places. And I will have memories of my family, my, uh, you know, my deceased grandparents, my deceased father. And just things will come flooding back in memories. And that's what that episodic stuff is. Hey, this happened here. And I remember it. And I really remember it when I go there. Okay. Uh, maybe y'all are pretty young. So maybe you go back to your elementary school and you had some good memories there. Hopefully you had some good memories there and it's, you know, everything just comes back to you uh, while you're, while you're there at your, your old school. Uh, divided attention versus selective attention. So this is a processing thing and it's basically, you know, if you're studying for this test, and you're listening to this podcast and you're jotting notes down and things like that, but you're also playing video games. I'm not sure how you would jot down stuff and play video games, uh, or you're having a conversation with somebody or you're reading a book or, or you're just doing something else. Okay. Uh, your divided attention is not going to develop that memory that you really, really want. Um, and so that's what divided attention versus selective attention is. Um, the selective part, you kind of also can pick out things. So uh, there are distractions, there are distractors out there, but sometimes we're able to really focus. <clears throat> like, I think my dog has been involved in some of my Zoom sessions and you can see me get distracted probably. There are other people that might be able to have a dog in their Zoom session that's being uh, a little pest and really concentrate and stay in, in, in focus, uh, or maybe it's a loud conversation happening, uh, at a restaurant or something and they can just focus in on that conversation. You know, that's what we're getting at there. All right. Recall problems. <clears throat> this is going to start with one of the first things we did this semester, which was the encoding. Uh, remember you encode, all right. Uh, when you start building your memory, one of the first steps and one of the first stages, uh, is that you start building basically that code in your brain. Um, and sometimes when you forget something, there is that encoding failure. So it doesn't always, not always guaranteed to work. Um, I have a really bad habit of, of forgetting your know, stuff right away. Uh, and you know, sometimes it's because we don't encode, uh, like I think I, I said, I, I try, I try my best to like say people's names when I meet somebody, uh, it's tough for st with students because I don't want to have that kind of conversation a lot of times, uh, in face-to-face -face school. But like if I meet somebody out and about, I try and say their name a couple of times so I don't, it will encode, it will uh, get into my uh, memory. Uh, three, memory consolidation. Uh, this is where you're doing something in the same place or order to help with recall. So basically you're building a routine here. Um, you're going to, to study in the same location at the same time, every day, every night, whatever it might be. And it's gonna help you uh, with your memory. Number or point four, the ability to recall, memorize list in reverse order. So this is that serial, okay, uh, part of our memory. So uh, remember, uh, well, we're talking about memory and I'm trying to get you to remember. So remember, you know, we talked about how, hey, you might get this list and it might be easier to remember it in backwards order because it's the stuff that's most recent to you. Uh, or you might remember the first few things and you might remember the, the last few things. You won't remember the, the, the stuff in the, the middle. Uh, context effects in memory that goes back to that, uh, memory consolidation of having a routine where you're doing the same thing over and over again, preparing, um, if you, you know, study in multiple places, multiple different times and things like that, uh, you might not, it's not that you're not going to remember, but, uh, it helps when you have uh, that, that routine in place. Problems with recall. So you've got the framed and the hindsight bias here. Uh, the framing part, this is where we have memories kind of dictated to us. So I see something happen and I kind of remember it, but then someone comes and questions me about it and they frame it in a certain way. And I start to remember how they said it versus how I actually saw it. So the framing of questions can really dictate to us how we remember something. And remember, I think uh, the example was like the cops questioning somebody. If they come up and they say, hey, did you see a brown car? Then I'm probably going to remember a brown car. 
don't know if there's such a thing as a brown car. Anyways, um, it's going to dictate kind of what I what I remember. If they come up and say, hey, what color was the car you saw? Then I got to bring up my own memory uh, and remember on my own. And so it's not going to be dictated to me. But hindsight bias, that's just, hey, we should have done this. Okay. Uh, and I think when we were in person or not in person, but uh, doing this you know, during the time, I talked about my coaching years and how I would go back uh, over games in my head that we lost just over and over and over again, thinking I should have done this. I should have done this. But there's no way to know in the moment what you needed to do. Uh, so just that's that's what hindsight bias is. Uh, let's see. Retroactive interference. Uh, other memories get in the way. Uh, so I have a really bad habit uh, as a teacher. I I've been a teacher now for 23 years and I have fought, taught thousands of kids. and I just can't remember all their names. And not only that, but I really, I, and this semester, I get new kids every semester because I teach a semester course when I, uh, in my face-to-face -face time. I had a really hard time this semester getting to know these kids, or not to get to know, but just to remember their names. And it took me a long time and I was confused for a long time. And, and it's part of this because there's so many names floating around in my head uh, that sometimes those memories get in the way of me making the new memories that I need to make. Uh, point six, the cerebellum, that's going to deal with your motor learning. Okay. Uh, I didn't put too many questions on there uh, about the, the different uh, brain parts. Point seven, the types of re reasoning. You've got deductive versus inductive. All right. So deductive reasoning, uh, this is where we are going to draw a conclusion based on some legitimate thoughts. I should say legitimate, but based on like a, a thesis or a hypothesis that we might draw uh, from some of the information that we get versus inductive, where we generalize something from a specific uh, occurrence. So this happened to me this one time is probably going to happen every time. So um, being from Florida, used to not put on sunscreen. So I got, I get burnt one time. And so now I think, well, every time I go in the sun, I'm going to get burnt. Okay. So it, it's this one thing happened to me and now I'm going to associate that with, with everything else. Uh, problem solving the algorithm versus the heuristics. Remember algorithm is that kind of, uh, formulaic way of going about solving a problem. Uh, the heuristics is not, it's more of a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, whereas the algorithm is kind of a set, Hey, here's a step-by-step -step process. The heuristics is more about the memories that we've made. And I don't want to say just kind of going about pro solving a problem willy nilly, but it, it, you don't have the plan. You don't have the step-by-step -step process of solving that, that problem. Uh, the biases in thinking, it goes back to the hindsight bias. So uh, in the framing, uh, so it's not a repeat, but they're kind of similar things, the errors in our thinking. Um, and, and that's where, hey, uh, I went on vacation and I knew it was going to be cold, but I forgot a jacket. I should have packed a jacket or something, something along those lines where, hey, I, I look back and I should have done that. Uh, the different types of intelligence. Okay. So we've got a couple of types of intelligence, uh, that you need to remember. Um, you've got the naturalistic. Okay. Uh, and this is kind of a understanding living, uh, things, uh, and like reading nature. So, Hey, I'll watch this squirrel because I got squirrels in my backyard and thinking about them right now. Uh, not like thinking about the squirrels, but they just popped in my head. But anyway, so we kind of watch them. We try and develop an understanding of what's going on out there in the world uh, of nature. Okay. Uh, musical. So discerning sounds, pitch, tone, rhythm, that sort of stuff. Um, my son's really musical. Like he's... I don't know. He, luckily, he gets it from my wife because I can't do anything with music. Uh, I want to learn the piano, but I haven't done so yet. Anyways, um, he can he can sing. He can play instruments. He taught himself the bass guitar. Uh, so he's you know a musical learner. He can he can do that kind of stuff. I unfortunately can't. Uh, logical, mathematical. So quantifying things, uh, making hypotheses, improving them. So this is going to kind of be that technical learning where hey, 
uh, I need to see data to, to make sense of it. And then once I see the data, I'll kind of form my opinion and then I'll see if I can make it improve it. Uh, existential, that's tackling questions of, of why we live and, and why we die. Uh, it's asking those big questions about, you know, what's the purpose of life and things like that. Uh, interpersonal, that is sensing people's feelings and motives. So thinking about how other people feel. Um, interpersonal is really you're empathetic to other people's feelings. Uh, bodily kinesthetic, uh, that is coordinating your mind with your body. So um, you, you're kind of a physical learner. You might in school, maybe when you were asked to, to, to get up and move around and do something, you learn better than just sitting there listening, uh, to someone talk linguistic, uh, finding the right words to express what you mean. So not necessarily different languages, but, uh, you know, you're, you're able to, to use, uh, your language to your advantage. Intra personal, that's understanding yourself. So inter is other people. Intra is looking within and, and how you feel and what you want um, and things like that. And then finally, spatial, that is where you visualize the world. Uh, you can kind of, maybe you see the world in, in like abstract shapes and 3D and thing like, things like that um, is what the spatial intelligence would be. Okay. Uh, Alfred Binet, uh, he was a French uh, researcher, psychiatrist, something along those lines. And uh, he's one that's credited with inventing the IQ test. Uh, he didn't set out to create the IQ test. He set out to, to measure like how successful y'all were. He, he was trying to determine, hey, this kid makes this on this test. They're going to do this in school. So they were, he was trying to get a baseline of how people are going to be doing uh, in school and uh, end up you know, creating the IQ test. Uh, test to measure student potential. That is the aptitude test that you probably have taken at some point in your school career. Um, and it just, you know, it's going to, to, you say, hey, you should do this. Uh, if you've taken, like if you took the SAT in seventh grade, I think this, this is the seventh grade SAT or the 10th grade. I can't remember when you take a pre-SAT. You don't take the real thing, but you take a, a kind of a fake one. Uh there are all kinds of predictors that can be used from that test. Uh, and people use it to, to, to kind of gauge, well, this person should be in this, these classes, uh, or this person should be in this level of classes. The last thing was about language acquisition. acquisition. Uh, so first thing is the children and uh, getting languages. And we just need to remember they're learning. Okay. And the grammar rules are going to be a struggle sometimes. Um, they're not going to, you know, little kids will say stuff that's kind of correct, but it's not really correct. Uh, and that just comes from the fact that they uh, are kind of overgeneralizing or, or just not familiar with the grammar rules that are out there. Um, so like I've, uh, this, I, I have a, 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 ne a nephew, sorry, I was struggling to spit it out. And instead of saying, hey, last night, he'll say, hey, yesterday night. It just drives me nuts because I want to be like, it's last night, uh, but just that kind of stuff. And then adults in languages. So for me, I really want to learn, learn a new language. Uh, when I'm finished with my degree, one of my goals is to learn Spanish and then to also learn to play the piano. It's going to be a struggle for me, though, because I'm older and older you get, the, the more difficult it is not necessarily to learn what the words mean, but to get the pronunciation of those words out there. All right, let's take a quick break. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome back. Let's get into unit six now. Uh, so unit six is what we have just covered. You just tested on it. So hopefully this is going to be super, super familiar to you. And it's not going to be something that you have to, to spend a lot of time on. So maybe, you know, uh, and I'm going to try and move quickly through it. 
uh, just because it is stuff that we we just went through. Uh, but anyway, same format, 6.1, 0 0.2, 0 0.3, 0 0.4, so on and so forth. All righty. Uh, and if it's on this review, it's on the test, just so you know. Like, I, I'm not trying to trick you, uh, especially for a midterm. Um, if it's on here, then you need to prepare for it. All right. So 6.1 was all about our developmental norms. So basically, um, there are things that we do and it's just not every kid will do the same thing however there are some stages of our development but that the vast majority of kids are going to get to so most kids are going to sit up at a certain age most kids are going to crawl at a certain age so that's all this is that during our development there are going to be steps uh, that are normal and you look for the progression and there are signs sometimes, you know, if a, if a, a baby, a child is not doing something, then um, it, you know, maybe the, the child is behind or something like that. So it can happen. However, it is not a guarantee. You know, my middle son uh, was a little behind because he was a premature baby. And so that played a role in his development, uh, but he's 14 now and, you know, as normal as a 14 year old can be which isn't very normal. Um, so baby development and researchers, uh, basically just you need to remember that researchers, and if you remember from the review for the, the unit six test, a lot of the stuff was about the researchers and a lot of the researchers was into babies and development and all the stuff that goes into uh, the, the kids, uh, babies, you know, growing up and, and figuring this out. And then as a child, figuring this out and things like that. And so uh, researchers, you know, can use the knowledge that they get from kids to recognize that, hey, behaviors will change uh, and adjust. And, and sometimes they'll go out the window. All right. One of the questions deals with a graph. I'm not going to get into it. You just got to pull data from the graph to uh, be able to answer the question. So I think that shouldn't be too bad. Uh, environmental effects. Then with genetic influence, that's a really poorly worded question or statement now that I look at it. Uh, but it's dealing with basically um, genetic stuff is stuff that can't be helped. So there are, are some things sometimes that happen uh, to embryos, to babies that it's, I don't want to say it's predetermined, but it just, it's a part of the genetic makeup. The mother's going to pass on that genetic gene. The father's going to pass on, pass on that genetic uh, condition, whatever it might be. Okay. So there are things that just because of our genetics, it's going to happen to us versus environmental where some of that stuff can be helped. Okay. We don't want pregnant women to drink alcohol. That's an environmental thing. That's something that someone can can make a change to. You can make the decision. Okay, I'm pregnant. I'm having a baby. I'm not going to drink because it's best for the kid. I'm not going to smoke. I'm not going to do drugs. I'm not going to go, you know, try and run marathons uh, two times a week during my pregnancy because it might affect my baby, so on and so forth. So there are choices environmental wise that we can make. And so that's what that question is getting at, uh, although it has a, a poor way of getting to it. All right, point two, uh, Mary Ainsworth's strange situation experiment. Uh, so she was one of the researchers. There's a lot of researchers uh, in this unit, remember. And uh, so the, the strange situation experiment was a something divide, procedure that uh, Ainsworth devised in the 70s uh, to basically observe attachment in children. All right. Uh, basically, she was looking at the relationship between a caregiver and a child. And so she would observe, watch kids with their caregivers, without their caregivers, uh, and things like that. And she's going to basically come away with a con conclusion um, that that relationship between caregiver and child uh, applies from about nine months to 30 months. And then the kid kind of starts to build some other relationships um, with others. All right, the styles of parenting. Uh, this was that four styles. Uh, you have the authoritative parent, 
the authoritarian parent. You have the permissive parent. That's prob probably me. Uh, and the uninvolved parent. Okay. So you have those four stages. And what you'll need to do, I think similar to what you did on the unit six test, uh, there'll be some uh, situations and, hey, this type of parent does this, or, hey, this type of parent is going to produce a, 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 a grown adult eventually that is like this. Okay. But the authoritative parent, uh, they are nurturing. They are affectionate. However, they are going to set some boundaries. They're going to discipline and they're going, but it's all from a place of, hey, I'm trying to guide you to a certain point in life. And I'm doing it with these boundaries, with these guidelines. The authoritarian parent is strict. They are inflexible. They have high expectations for you. Hey, straight A's. Uh, they punish rather than discipline. Okay. Um, and so with the authoritative parent, their discipline is to try and guide you. So, hey, you did this wrong. We're going to do this to kind of adapt. Um, the authoritarian parent is going to, to really punish for punishment's sake. You did wrong, so now you have to, to, to get punished. Uh, the permissive parent is nurturing, affectionate, uh, few or inconsistent boundaries, takes the full role of friend rather than parent. Uh, looking at you know this, it's probably me. Um, I, I I don't want to you know I want to be friendly with my kids and I do what I got to do, but uh, I think that's probably me more more so than anything. And then the uninvolved parent, uh, emotionally detached, self-absorbed, inconsistent, or no boundaries, little interaction. Uh, so you can think, you know, what kind of parents do, do you have? Um, and, you know, you can use that as some predictors to, to maybe how you'll turn out eventually. No guarantees, though. Keep that in mind. All this stuff. There's never, ever, ever, ever a guarantee that just because this one researcher found this and then you find yourself in a similar situation, that it is any kind of indication of how you're going to turn out. All right, Harry Harlow. So he had some monkeys that were taken away from their mothers and raised in a laboratory setting. Okay. Uh, some of the infants were placed in separate cages away from peers. Others were, work, were with peers. Uh, and in social isolation, the monkeys, basically, because they were away from their, their caregiver, their mother, uh, their parents, uh, they just demonstrated some, some disturbed behavior. Okay. Um, maybe some of it was violent. Some of it might've been just very distant. Maybe could be described as depression. Um, uh, and the, the research is, is going to show, you know, um, eventually that you need that loving relationship. You need that caring relationship that comes from a caregiver, from a parent. Um, and so that's Harlow. Lorenz, uh, he is the imprinting person. He dealt with the ducklings or goslings, I think it was. Um, and basically they would follow and kind of steer towards the first um, moving thing they saw. Sometimes it was the researcher. Sometimes it was an other animal. It just depends on what they put in front of these animals as they hatched. And they would imprint on them. And so, hey, this is what I recognize as my caregiver, my parental unit, whatever you want to call it. And uh, they would follow them around. Diana Bomerand. Okay. Uh, and I, I hope I'm saying that correctly. Um, <clears throat> I'm never sure uh, if, I, if I am saying it correctly or not. <clears throat> Excuse me. But she did research on um, the parenting styles. So uh, going back to that, um, there'll be, you, you, we talked about the parenting styles. And it comes from Balmerand. Sorry, I was looking for something and I got distracted. Uh, object permanence, that is just the fact that you know that something exists even though you don't see them. 
Like y'all know I exist, even though you don't see me on a regular basis. You know, hey, there's that guy that logs in and puts stuff onto the classroom and uh, talks to us occasionally and things like that. You know, you know that even though you don't see me on a regular basis, uh, you know that there are family members that live in other states and have their own lives and all that kind of stuff. You can recognize that. So just because you don't see something doesn't on a regular basis doesn't mean you don't. It's not there. Paget, uh, theory of cognitive development is what she is going to come up with. Uh, and she, she suggested, uh, uh, now I'm questioning myself if it's, a, I'm pretty sure it's a she, uh, suggested that intelligence changes as children grow. All right. So this cognitive development, uh, as children get older, the intelligence is going to change. Uh, the, the development is not just acquiring knowledge, uh, but it, the kid has to develop uh, and construct their own kind of their own mental model of the world. So as they're young, the cognitive development is kind of taking in stuff uh, from their surroundings. And then as they get older, that cognitive development is going to lead to them to making their own decisions. Vygotsky, social learning theory. Uh, he viewed human development as a socially mediated process where children are going to, to get their, their values, their beliefs, uh, how they solve problems, just really almost anything uh, by interacting, talking with, watching uh, other members of society. So a lot of this stuff was about how we get our knowledge, how we get our kind of our base of what we're going to believe, how we're going to think and things like that. And a lot of it is from from watching and interacting with with other people. Sometimes it's our parents. Other times it could be other relatives. Maybe it's uh, you know friends and peers and things like that. Uh, point four: adolescence and risky behaviors. So just remember that you know y'all, and, and this is y'all. Uh, your brains are still developing, and it sometimes leads to to making some bad decisions. It's you know, not to excuse bad decisions, and hopefully there's never really any super bad decisions that made that affect for long periods of time, but your brain is still a work in progress, basically. Your brain won't be uh, fully developed until you're around 25 or so, and uh, it's uh, it does lead to some, some risky behaviors, some risky decisions. Uh, primary sex characteristics. So basically, you know, how can we determine, uh, male, female, things like that. Um, and so what are some of the, the things that men have and women have and, and vice versa and things like that. So this, that's what this question is getting at. Um, so just when you, when you see that question, hopefully it'll, <laughs> excuse me, uh, it should stand out what the answer is. All right, uh, Erickson stages of development. So there's a few questions on Erickson stages of development, uh, and there was almost a whole section in the PowerPoint developed to this. Uh, but let's run through them, okay? Uh, so you have infancy, and that is where you have trust versus mistrust, and you start to build and learn from that. So you you begin to recognize, hey, I can trust this person to feed me. I can trust this person to, to change my diaper and things like that. Mistrust. Hey, this person's not not picking me up when I'm crying and things like that. Okay, uh, then we get into early childhood autonomy versus shame and doubt, <clears throat> where hey, you have to be able to do some things on your own, but you go through some things where you, you're doing stuff and you're trying to push some boundaries and you're trying to do stuff on your own, but you're not always successful. And sometimes you make mistakes and sometimes you mess up, and and it does lead to some of that shame and doubt. Uh, preschool, uh, initiative versus guilt. <laughs> so once again, still wanting to do that stuff by yourself. So, Hey, I want to get out there. I want to do this. <clears throat> My kids used to want to dress themselves and they were horrible dressers. Okay. But at least they were taking the initiative to try and dress themselves. Uh, school age industry versus inferior inferiority. So, um, uh, Doing for your own, the industry part is like doing for yourself, uh, having the resources and the ability to, to do things uh, versus sometimes you, you don't have all the skills. You don't have all the knowledge you need. 
Adolescence is identity versus role confusion. So you, you're starting to form who you are here. Uh, young adulthood, intimacy versus isolation, to be with people or to be by yourself. Uh, middle adulthood. I'm guessing that's where I'm at, middle adulthood. Generativity versus stagnation. Okay, basically, are you going to, you know, kind of <clears throat> make changes, make adjustments and things like that in your life, or are you going to just do the same thing? Fall into a rut, maybe might be a way to say it, where, hey, I don't feel like I'm in this sometimes, where I get up, I go to work, come home, do my thing, go to bed, start all over. This, and, you know, am I in a rut? I don't know. Uh, and then maturity, ego, integrity versus despair, maybe I'm, maybe I'm getting into despair thinking about my life that way that I just said. Uh, I don't know. But those are the eight stages. So take a look at them and uh, be able to uh, kind of pick out some of the ages that are associated with the different stages, uh, some of the different things that are involved in the different stages. So just uh, be prepared for that. Okay. Uh, point six, Kohlberg, the three levels of moral reasoning. Uh, it is pre-conventional, conventional, and post-conventional. And basically, uh, Kohlberg, and we'll talk about him in just a second, but Kohlberg had, uh, he would ask about moral dilemmas. And, and this is all about moral reasoning is what he's getting at with this. Um, and, <laughs> excuse me. Um, he asked people, kids, adults, young adults, uh, questions about you know what would you do like one of the things was about hey you have someone that you care about that needs medicine they need this life-saving medicine but you don't have the money for it is it right to go and steal the medicine in order to give to your friend or family family member whoever uh and save their life all right uh but the three stages that were pre-conventional conventional and post-conventional uh pre-conventional is for young kids up till like 10, nine, somewhere in there. Uh, and kids don't have a moral code. If a kid says they do, they don't. All right. Um, instead, it is the the people, usually the adults that are around them, that are going to help the kids develop their, their moral code. Okay. And so because of that, kids do assimilate. Uh, because kids adapt so much, uh, they will take on individuals, um, morals and their moral code so kids don't have their own stuff it's more of a hey here's uh what i saw happen and that's you know what what we do uh the conventional is y'all so teens through young adults and and you're starting to to basically make your own moral code based on what society expects so maybe not so much what your parents are doing or or uh, people like that around you, but what is society saying is the, the normal thing to do? All right. Uh, and then finally is the post-conventional and that's much later in life. And that's where we, we some people will start to, to kind of question those societal norms that, that we saw uh, in the conventional stage. And people will start to make their own decisions uh, and maybe sometimes it's different than what the, the moral code uh, or the moral norms were. Uh, I find myself, you're looking at stuff and this is what society says, but this is what I think. And this is what I believe, you know, and I'm, I'm turning into an old person. So, uh, but anyways, that is what the three stages were. Now, he did think that not many people would get past the post-conventional. Uh, he did have some extra stages, but he said most people are not going to be able to think outside the box like that uh, for that thing. Okay. Uh, finally, from unit six is point seven, sexual orientation and then gender differences. Uh, so sexual orientation uh, is going to come from a combination of things, uh, genetics, um, hormones kicking in, uh, social influences, so all those sorts of things are going to affect sexual orientation uh, and then gender differences. Uh, and the question, uh, looking back at it, when I was preparing for this, 
I don't know that I like it so much, but um, it can be seen through aggression. Okay, so some of the differences uh, can be the different types of aggression that we show. All right, so that is unit six. Once again, hopefully it is somewhat familiar. Let's take one more break and we'll be back in just a moment. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, guys, welcome back. Uh, so this last section here is about uh, the, the previous semester stuff. So there's a question from 1.2, a question from 1.3, 2.1, 2.8, 2.9, 3.2, 3.5, 3.6, 4 4.2, and 4.3. So we're going to run through that. I'm going to try and do it quick because uh, Unit 5 and Unit 6 kind of got long. So I do apologize for that. Um, but anyways, just, just remember, this is 10 questions from four units. So don't read into this that, okay, this is the AP stuff. This is the stuff that's going to be on the AP test. Cause it could be any, any number of things. I just, I had to pick 10 questions. And so this is what I picked. All right. So 1.2 is about longitudinal, longitudinal studies. Um, and remember, these are the studies that are going to be over multiple years. Okay. You're going to watch uh, individuals for years at a time. And one of the problems with these things, or not, okay, so first off, one of the good things, you get some great data when you get to observe someone that long and you get really familiar, really intimate with these people and you can, you know, you know them better than themselves sometimes. The problem is you have people that get tired of the study and so they will drop out because the study is so long and um, you might miss some information. That was super important, super vital because those individuals dropped out. The double blind control, so 1.3. Uh, so this part is where neither the participant or the person given the study know who is in the control group and who's in the experimental group. All right. Uh, and so because of that, it allows the, the study to eventually when it, when it wraps up to figure out uh, and detect the placebo effect where, hey, this person wasn't getting any treatment or whatever it might be. All right. Uh, 2.1, who is going to determine a child's sex? Uh, it's, there's nothing to do, uh, but the father is the one that'll kind of make that happen. Um, once again, there's nothing that a father can do, but just however it happens, it happens. And I know that's super scientific. Uh, but that's the best way to say it. Now, there's all kinds of old wives' tales about how to, if you really want a boy, do this. If you really want a girl, do that. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's, it's just it just happens. Uh, 2.8, effects of alcohol intake. So this one should be pretty simple. simple. Uh, when you drink, you get super loose. Uh, and, and hopefully it's not something you're doing and experiencing because you're not of age yet. Uh, but when you do, you really lose some of the the you relax and you're more willing to, to do things that you might not do in a normal basis sleep issues uh, so the big one uh, for this is sleep apnea uh, that's where you struggle to breathe uh, through uh, when you're sleeping and it leads to, to not really having the best of sleep because you're constantly uh, gasping for breath and gasping for air. So you might even realize if, so if people wake up tired, like I thought I slept through the night, it's probably because they have sleep apnea. 3.2 selective attention. Uh, this goes back to kind of one of the things we talked about earlier, uh, in one of the sections about being able to focus in. And so that selective attention piece is about being able to really kind of hone in on and focus in on the conversation at hand uh, or the situation at hand, even though there's all kinds of other stuff going on around you. All right. Uh, let's see. There is a picture of the ear. So be sure you uh, take it, can, can name some of the stuff that's in the, the ear. So the ear and the ear canal, uh, it is divided 
into the outer, which is going to include the, the pinna and the tympanic membrane, uh, the middle, which is the oscillus, oscillus, uh, malus, incus, and stapes, and then the inner division, which is the Coachella and the basilar membrane. And I'm probably not saying these correctly, so I do apologize. And just so you know, basically the sound waves will travel along our auditory canal and eventually strike the tympanic membrane and it causes it to vibrate and we can detect the sound and those things. But once again, it is a diagram. Uh, you're not going to have to answer questions about it. You just got to be able to pick out what is there. Uh, 3.6, the reaction of bitter substances. So taste. So basically, why do we recoil at some of the things we taste? Uh, and one of the things that people will have poor reactions to are those things that are bitter, sour, and things like that. And the reason we do that is because we, we're, we're kind of born with this self-perseverance protection mechanism that when something tastes bad, we need to spit it out. We need to get rid of it. And so, and the reason for that is because some of the, the things that are bad for you are sometimes going to be things that don't taste good. And so we're, we're born with that. And so some of us never grow out of it. I don't really like sour stuff. Uh, I like sour stuff if it goes sweet really quickly, but just to eat something that's sour, just to be sour, uh, it's not a, I'm not a big fan of that. Okay. All right. Last things, 4.2 and 4.3. So conditioned stimulus and unconditioned stimulus. Um, <coughs> excuse me. This goes to those conditioned responses that we kind of, we're not born with these things. They, we, we develop them over time. Okay. Uh, and so in the conditioned response, whatever our stimulus is. So, you know, if we've learned that um, if I do this, I get that and things like that, uh, that's going to be a conditioned stimulus, whatever the stimulus might be that elicits the response from us. That's what uh, conditioned stimulus is. Unconditioned stimulus. All right. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, so like, this is like natural, more natural stuff. So, um, you've been inside all day in your dark cave of a room and you walk outside to a, a bright, bright sun and your, your eyes are going to, your pupils are going to, to constrict because there's so much light coming into them. That's a unconditioned stimulus to a unconditioned response. So the difference here is going to be something that's kind of learned that we have to do the conditioned stimulus and conditioned response versus something that just kind of naturally happens with the unconditioned uh, response and unconditioned stimulus. And then finally, the types of conditioning. All right. So we, this is going to be the, the positive reinforcement, the negative reinforcement, the positive punishment, negative punishment, uh, that stuff. So for example, positive reinforcement, uh, maybe you get money for A's. Maybe your parents are, are trying to encourage you to, to, to do something. So, hey, here is a positive for a positive. Uh, negative reinforcement is going to be like taking something away because you're doing something that, that maybe you don't need to be doing. Um, so, so you're taking painkillers to get rid of the pain. Okay. Um, the, the behavior of taking painkillers is strengthened because you're like, I need these things. All right. So that's a negative reinforcement, uh, positive punishment, give more homework for, for misbehavior might be something. Uh, a lot of teachers fall into this trap where the behavior leads them to give more and more stuff. And I see teachers in my school do this all the time. Well, these five kids were bad. So I'm going to punish the whole class. Um, 
negative punishment. Um, that's where you get rid of a pleasant stimulus. So like my little girl, my youngest is 11, almost 12. And for some reason, she just doesn't turn in her, her work. She does her work all the time, but she just doesn't turn it in all the time. And so my wife decided to take her phone away until she can show on a consistent basis that she turns in her work. And so that would be negative punishment. Okay. Um, all this, this process is going to kind of shape us. Okay. Uh, and that reinforces the steps we need to, to reach our goal. So like my little girl, she wants her phone back. Well, the steps to getting her phone back are, or is to turn in her work on a regular basis. That's the, the shaping. And so all those negative and positive, um, you know, reinforcements and punishments and things like that, it's shaping us a certain way. And you've probably been shaped somehow, some way, whether you realize it or not, I've been shaped to be the way I am. I don't know why, um, but you know, I am a, a, the way I am for a certain reason. All right. That is enough. So I apologize for going so long. Guys, I will have a uh, Zoom session on Sunday. I'll post the time in our classroom. Uh, I'm going to be on. However, it's not a requirement. You don't have to come. If you've listened to this podcast, and you're like, man, I know everything. I'm good to go. Then just when you go take the test, best of luck to you. Um, if you have questions and want me to talk through them, then come to the Zoom. But once again, uh, it's not a requirement. You can always email me questions and I'll respond as quick as I can. But anyways, guys, I hope all is well. I hope you're having a great week. And uh, we uh, have a couple more units after this midterm week. So we'll work hard and get to spring break. And then when we come back from spring break, we'll have one last unit to cover. And then we'll, uh, we'll get ready for the AP test. Best of luck, guys, on everything you got going on in the next week and a half. Uh, I'm here for you and support you, and I'm your biggest fan. Take care, guys. Bye-bye.